0: What are some of the themes, the general themes that you just heard? What were some of the things that might have left an impression? Surrender. Community, Community. Community. yeah. What else? Forgiveness, yeah. Amends. Amends, yeah. When you see something like that and hear that kind of very vivid story, what do you think is needed to live? Not just get by, but thrive, not just sort of go through the motions and survive, but actually live a kind of abundant life. I'm convinced because of my theology, because of what I've seen demonstrated in the life of Christ, that there simply is no life without a dying. There's no growth without a pruning. And that often feels difficult. It feels like a grieving. It feels like a loss. Except when we learn to trust in God, we understand on the far side of obedience is the potential for something new and beautiful. We are entering a season called Lent, and Lent leads up to this Resurrection Sunday, which is the most symbolic day of the experience of new life. Not once and for all, but time and time again. Because chances are, since last Easter, there have been things that have knocked you down. There have been moments that you felt like, ah, I can't figure this out, or I can't go on, I can't deal with this any longer. And yet we come upon this moment, this day, that represents the whole of our theology that we can begin again. And it's a beautiful testimony. And so Lent for, I think all of its best intentions is a chance to go through a sort of spiritual detox. It's sort of a rehab. It's a chance to begin a path where we consider or take inventory of our lives and think, are there some areas that need some pruning? Are there some areas that I need to name, confess, surrender, give up in order to experience new life? Over the next few weeks, and we're about a week and a half from Ash Wednesday, which is the official start of Lent, but I want to consider the humanity of Christ. Most people understand that Jesus is God's Son, except that sometimes when you look at his life on earth, it's hard for us to imagine that he can truly empathize with our temptations with our struggle, with our brokenness, because, well, at the end of the day, he's the son of God, right? So he's always got the... And and yet, there is this humanity of Christ that we need to fully embrace because leading up to the cross, his humanity was on full display. So I want to really identify with the human side of Jesus uh, so that we can understand what Christ went through on our behalf. So before we dive in, I want to uh, take this moment, we are, um, Wesley, if if you've got a couple of youth with you, we're excited about our youth tribe. And we have now twice a month, we're gonna be dismissing the youth to go and have a, a conversation similar to the one we're having today. But we wanna continue to foster a living faith for our students and give them a chance to discuss that. So, the Lord bless you as you continue your time of worship. Nailed it! (laughs) Okay, beat it, kid. (laughs) Okay, so it's a guy's group. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Well, one of the things that I wanna do, not just, and so I've named this series, The Dirt Underneath His Nails. See that? See that? Because we're going up to Easter. He bore a lot of pain and sin on our behalf, but there is this humanity of Christ that I want us to understand because Christ, if anyone, can empathize with our humanity more than anyone. He's been through it all. And the way I want to introduce this topic is to look at the the case for how Jesus began to deal with his suffering, how Jesus dealt with his temptation, how Jesus cultivated a heart for compassion. You're like, how does the Son of God have to cultivate compassion? Well, I'll tell you, because he was human, that's why. There's always going to be this desire to care for your own needs above someone else's and so I want us to consider that reality and the way Jesus dives into this hold on now he goes into this discipline of fasting now that's not a really fun conversation Uh, and so I want to talk tonight and illustrate how Jesus fasted for the purpose of gaining spiritual strength we think of fasting as this profound sacrifice. If you've ever experimented with giving up a food for any amount of time, whether it be a meal in a day, a 24 hour period or longer, it is very tempting to say, God, I expect you to do this for me because I did this for you. Sort of this quid pro quo, I'm gonna hold you hostage to hear my prayers because you owe me. And it's like, really? I'll tell you right now from personal experience, that kind of negotiation never works. I've done it. Um, I've been frustrated. And so I want to talk about how Jesus pursues this Fasted life. And there's a couple of examples that I want to look at, and the first comes um, through Luke chapter 4. Now, most biblical fasting focuses on this absence of food, which is kind of Jesus's examples here, but as I want to talk about later, there's broader implications for specifically how I want to consider us going through Lent together. Um, And so Jesus has this early encounter, he's now sort of come out of the closet. He is now going to be the Messiah. He's been baptized and he heads out into the wilderness, this desert experience. Have you had a desert experience? Have you felt like you're in a valley? Have you felt like you're in a spiritual dry time? This is Jesus' coming out party and he chooses to go 40 days without eating. And as he's in this encounter, over the course of 40 days, he is having this one-on-one, interaction with satan and satan tempts him and listen to how he tempts him in the first encounter he tempts him with the idea of food if you've ever gone without food and someone dangles food in front of you you're like that's not even nice Satan tempts him like if you're really going to be the son of God um, turn this this stone into bread and so he says that, uh, if, if you're really the son of God uh, turn the stone into becoming bread and so there is this initial encounter where they tempt him physically with an appetite. I want you to consider your appetite. We have an appetite that is a conditioned response. It doesn't mean you're actually hungry. I have a stomach that has cultivated an appetite based on how much I actually snack during the day. So when my stomach growls, it's like a spoiled child reminding me that I haven't nourished it, but it's not actually hunger. You understand the difference between an appetite and real hunger. And so we have these kind of conditioned responses where our physical lives have developed an appetite, an appetite for comfort, an appetite for pleasure, an appetite for sort of self um, snacking, whatever you want a case may be. And this is the first part where he sort of takes the word of God and he speaks, man shall not live by bread alone. But Jesus understands the physical reality of our conditioning, and he's walked in our shoes. Now, the next scene is Jesus has this moment where his disciples are returning after being sent out. And when he comes back, oh, excuse me, let me, let me look at it, because he had three times in the desert. Sorry, we're still in the desert. And he said to him, I give you all authority and splendor that has been given to me, and I can give it to you whoever, anyone I want if you worship me. So here's what he does. He tempts them with a sort of emotional carrot, an emotional response. And all of us are really susceptible to being tempted with recognition, tempted with sort of an emotional gratification, tempted with this sort of notoriety, tempted with the idea of our own reputation. And he holds that in front of him because it was his to sort of give but only if you worship me. And so there is this way that we live mildly vulnerable, being lured or even seduced to kind of the strokes or the applause or the recognition of people for us. And so we seek out validation. Jesus has been tempted as we are. And he refutes this, and then he goes on to this third, and he says the devil led him to Jerusalem and stood on the highest point of the temple, and he says if you're really the son of God, he says throw yourself down from him, and what he does is tempts the son of God spiritually. He's tempted him physically, he's tempted him emotionally, and he tempts him spiritually with the idea of his faith and belief. Do you have moments where you question your theology? Do you have wrestling matches where you're faced with doubt? The beauty of Christianity is that unlike any other world religion, it gives this huge swath that we can allow for doubt and questioning. God is not threatened by that but Jesus's response looking at him says it says do not tempt the Lord your God he's not going to choose this this blind faith to leap off this building and go against the pre-described laws of gravity which would lead him to his death That's not the better part of wisdom. But you can imagine after 40 days of going without food, you're a little thin-skinned. You might be a little more susceptible. We all have our moments, maybe during the day, during the week, during seasons of the year, where we get worn thin. Jesus was in one of these moments, walking in full humanity without even sustenance. And he's able to deal with some of these temptations. And so he looks in these places and he goes into the wilderness and he begins to find strength through surrender. In this case, it was surrendering food. What are your creature comforts? What do you do for security, validation? These are really important things to begin to identify because in Christ, he starts laying them down In trusting that his heavenly father's got his back now he has another episode and this is um, where we see in mark chapter 9 he began to fast by faith now this is what's interesting about this moment he sends out his disciples and they come back and it's the scene where this father of this demon-possessed boy says your disciples couldn't cast out this demon even in your name and he says, well, any, you know, how long do I have to be with you? And he asks them, like, if this is possible for those who believe, and this is where that father prays the prayer that I often pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Gosh, I find myself in that place often. And then privately, he circles up, Well, and he casts out the demon, and he, then his disciples, again, after Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples, this is verse 28, His disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Wait a second, time out. Jesus didn't have to go, This kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. Hold that thought. 24 hours later, okay, fasted, bam, you're healed. Jesus was living a fasted life. There had been a voluntary denial uh, of food so that he sort of had this spiritual strength. See, biblical fasting is giving up an otherwise normal activity for spiritual focus. And what I love about this moment is Jesus is living this fasted life. He didn't need to go take time out, go without food to somehow gain intimacy with his heavenly father and somehow capture the father's power to deliver this demon-possessed boy. That's really significant to me. He fasted by faith. Now, I would contend, and I'll confess, some of my struggles with fasting have been because I came with an agenda to God. I wanted to force the hand of God on an answer in my life. I didn't get what I was looking for. But I will say that when I fasted uh, in one season where I did an extended fast, God began to open up doors, but I came to him without an agenda. What I simply said was, if there are things in my life, Lord, that you want to reveal, things that I might need to confess, things that I might need to grieve, things that I might need to heal from, would you just reveal your presence And um, that was an amazing encounter. Um, Amazing as in, I'm glad I went through it, but I would not want to do it again. But it was really good and hard. Jesus was living this fasted life, not because he needed an answer today, or he wanted something right now. He was living this disciplined life. It's like this. Have you ever been going through your life and all of a sudden you couldn't pay for something? You, you, not, you still had checks, but you couldn't cover it. We live this way. Maybe, maybe you're living in debt, maybe you're living month to month, but all of a sudden some financial expense comes up and you can't cover it. Have you ever had that experience in your life? Fasting works the same way. When we're willing to spend time with God, what we're doing is, not because we're operating out of crisis, we're filling the reserves of our heart, we're filling our mind with God's truth, we're walking in sort of this fellowship with God because we know there's going to be a circumstance where more is required of us. Maybe more faith, maybe more patience, Maybe more grace, but there's gonna be something required of us. Jesus lives a fasted life. That's really important to think about the chronology of that moment. Because I don't want to live my life with such thin margins when I get bumped, I spill over. I wanna live with a kind of buffer because I'm walking in kind of an intimacy with God. Now the third example of Jesus living the fasted life was a maybe a familiar story to some of you about the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus encounters her at midday. She had been living a life with five other men and the one she was living with was not her husband. But Jesus has this dialogue like like Laurel referenced today about a kind of water or uh, that will never thirst again. And she's like give me this water because i I don't want to come in the heat of the day in midday to draw from this well. Meanwhile, his disciples had gone to find food. And so he's having this encounter with an enemy, a despised person, the Samaritan half-breed. That's what it was. And so there's all these cultural faux pas. She's a Samaritan, she's a she, and Jesus is having this one-on-one encounter with her. This is not copacetic in, in, in ancient Israel. And so the disciples return and he's like speaking into her life and she's finding new life and she's excited to go back and tell everyone what everything she's ever done and they're like wow that excites you because your life has been kind of checkered and and this is what the disciples say meanwhile the disciples were urging Jesus rabbi eat something but Jesus replied I have kind of food that you know nothing about did someone bring him food while we were gone the disciples asked each other and then Jesus explained my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me from finishing his work in other words I believe part of what Jesus was doing was volunteering giving out food for the sake of growing in compassion which we like to define as simply recognizing that we're all needy but when we have compassion it's finding needs that are simply different than our own. So Jesus fasts from food for strength physically, emotionally, spiritually and then Jesus fasts by faith believing that something's going to require more of him, more faith, more trust and so he just does it proactively There's sort of this, I'm going to keep working and filling my well. And then he fasts for compassion. And he meets this woman who's sort of got walking around with this scarlet letter. And he's like, you guys are sitting here writing her off, but this is why I've come. All that from fasting. Mm -hmm. So most of the time we talk about fasting, like I said, has to do with food. But beyond that... My working definition is fasting, biblical fasting, is giving up an, an ordinary or normal activity for the purpose of spiritual focus. Remember Paul's words when he says, give me the eyes of, my, of thy heart so, so I can see like God sees. Sometimes we start going through our lives and we don't realize when it happened, but we're just seeing things through our own lenses of fair or an unfair, of, of simply, like, better and best. What we need are spiritual lenses to see the world through God's eyes, and this is what fasting really accomplishes. And so we start to see this unfold, and so um, um, what I, as I look at Lent and what I'd like to consider us doing is it invites us to prepare our hearts from simply sowing seeds. We're not trying to have a transformational event, but what we're trying to do is sow spiritual seeds in our hearts, in our minds, and to the people that our lives might intersect with. And so fasting is one of the ways we trust God by faith. Again, we can't force the hand of God, but what we can do is just walk in faith and obedience, because what we learn is God prefers our obedience to our sacrifice. He just wants us to follow closely. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us the means in which we participate with him. So um, what we're invited to do by his grace is, is participate on deeper levels of faith with him. God knows our inadequacies. God knows our shortcomings. God knows our temptations. But by his grace, he's like, Don't let that disqualify you, come closer. So when we have times of worship, it's a means of God's grace. When we have the ability to study God's word, it's a means of grace. He's giving us full access. When we have a communion table and we're able to take this, it's a means of grace. When we fast, he's inviting us to deeper levels of participation. This is all God giving full access to the very presence of God. So this is an invitation, and sometimes it's hard to experience that kind of presence. So the question I'm left with is, how do we increasingly, step by step, become people of hope, of generosity, to become people of mercy and forgiveness and compassion? These are all things that I want to do because I think that all reflects the heart of God. Let me ask you a question. Um, I think, uh, or how many of you, skipped an important activity this week? How many of you think, this week, I know I didn't get enough sleep? Probably many. How many of you, um, like, skipped a workout this week? How many of you fudged on your diet this week? Right? Um, How many of you have yet to respond to someone like an RSVP or, or like an email still in your inbox? Probably everyone. How many of you have a very dear friend that you haven't caught up with in weeks? How many of you have a particular thing you love, like golf, like, I don't know, uh, whatever? And you just haven't, it's just been on the shelf for a while. My point is this, we live, and, and, and understand the nature of sacrifice. We understand putting off things. Sometimes it's for really good reasons, like I've got a deadline, I've got to meet. Sometimes it's because I'm just a little bit on the lazy side and I can't get myself to do it. Sometimes it's because um, family is, is requiring more of us, or my career is requiring more of me, and we put off really good things For the sake of this immediate thing. My point in this is when I talk about fasting, it's actually very natural to us. We fast all the time. We skip a meal because we're just busy. We we work late because we're sort of driven by a deadline. This is just normal. What I'm suggesting is moving this category to biblical fasting as a a voluntary surrendering or a giving up of a normal activity for spiritual focus. Now, you might consider, and and we can talk more about it if you wanna consider taking a day a week and and fasting going without food, Um, if you wanna take maybe a meal a week, or or, uh, what I'd like to do is talk again about our new normal experience. Last year, we did this new normal, and um, if you remember, What I suggested is there is this, uh, and there's a handout. I hope you got it. What I want to do is a couple of things. I want to take Lent to consider our rhythm of compassion. Last year, we all just gave up certain ordinary daily expenditures. Maybe it was things like, oh, I drive through the car wash, and now I'll just wash my car once a week, or um, that $4 latte. I'll just pass on and go with the kind of crummy office brew, or maybe uh, it's, whatever the case, when you go out to eat instead of Cokes or or, uh, wine, you just, well, we're going to stick with water, but you keep a running tally of what you're doing so that there can be a kind of collective savings. Last year, we collected about $1,500. And we announced it on Easter Sunday because the idea was we want to be people of the resurrection. So how do we celebrate new life that Christ gives us? Well, what it it would mean to like bring a little bit of life to other people. And so we passed out gift cards, H-E-B gift cards, and we passed out $50 envelopes. And we just sort of armed everyone with the idea of go bring life to others. And it was kind of a fun experience. Some great stories come back. This year, I would like to do it a little different. I would like for you, particularly as a family, so this also combines our rhythm of apprenticing, because I want you to operate as sort of a spiritual director in your home and with your kids. I want you to consider and challenge them with, we want to give up certain expenditures. Maybe it's that snack bar. I remember last year you finished at the Y and you kind of cut out the vending machine that is oh so awesome. A vending machine to a kid is, you know, like a 16 year old getting to drive for the first time, right? Uh, It's just neat when you get to actually, it's like winning the lottery. Um, But what if we could talk to our kids about seeing needs is simply different than our own. It's, it's, it's not that they're needy and we're not. We have our own set of needs. And God wants to meet us as much as he wants to meet them. So we went a couple of weeks ago and had this event called The Pitch, and we started these really neat relationships with, hopefully so, with, with um, uh, Home Street music and then with Science in a Suitcase. And I went to each of the directors and I said, last year we just kind of, threw out the money and said, go find something. And that was good, and we heard some good stories. This year, I want it to be more concrete so that maybe as parents, maybe just as, as sharing the vision for what our church is trying to do, you communicate for Lent this year, rather than just giving up chocolate or caffeine or alcohol, we're actually giving up sort of these small expenditures. And we're collectively saving them. Keep a running total of what you're saving as you go. Talk to your kids about it, because when I was talking to um, Ash at Hopefully So, I said, what's something that we could sort of, a, an initiative, a project that we could just bring new life? And she goes, and she told me about this girl. She's about a 20-year-old who's kind of aged out of the foster system. She's living at, um, at the settlement home, and I think she has two kids. I know she has at least one, but she's basically a teen mom, and she doesn't have a driver's license. She says, it costs about $550 to get her actual driver's training. Now, most of you had parents that maybe showed you how to drive. They took you to a parking lot somewhere. She's never had that. So it would be good to not just wheel it around Austin and figure it out. We'll get her the driving lessons by a professional, and then like, she can actually show and get a driver's license. So that was one of the projects we thought, yes, let's, let's do that. Let's bring new life to someone. Let's, let's, that sounds like salvation. Imagine your life without a driver's license. That sounds like hell on earth, right? I mean, this is, this is what it means to just practice a living faith. And so I, I, we're talking with Vanessa, and I said, Vanessa, there's lots of different ways we could do it, and she had all kinds of ideas. But one of the things we talked about is, I know you've been tasked with starting more groups Um, she works with homeless people. And the homeless people are always known as sort of a burden and always looking for a handout. But what they do with Home Street is they create these music circles that people are allowed to not only find community, but make a contribution. I can't think of a more dignifying work than a homeless person feeling like they get to contribute. So I said, could we help pay for one of these new groups that you're offering because of? she brings in a professional artist and kind of gives them a small stipend to kind of facilitate the group and and so uh, this is like half a season for for them to take a, a new group and and provide like a new music circle and I was like, done, let's do that and then I was talking um, with uh, um, not, um, nicole Nicole Richard uh, at Science in a suitcase and her email, because I, I was asking dumb questions, because uh, there are dumb questions, uh, and I asked several of them because I just don't know. She started an organization um, that brings spe- technology, technology, but specifically they bring um, uh, robotics to underserved children. They're in over ten countries, but they and she works at National Instruments, and but she has this partnership with Lego, and they banded together and just done this really neat thing, but she works with all of these Title I and underprivileged schools that don't have access to the kind of tech labs and computer labs that most of our kids are in. And so I said, what would it mean? She goes, you know what? We're working on a couple of things, but and she was talking about all the things locally that they're doing. She says, we actually are in need of running this design program on, we need about three or four laptops. And, and actually, someone has heard about what you're doing. I think it's on their board and says, whatever Mission Hills will give, I'll match. I'm like, oh, come on now. This is just getting good. And so um, we have a chance to bring technology and education to kids who are just, like, they don't have a home computer. They don't have a robotics or destination imagination at their school. They don't have a computer lab. And so she's doing some really great work. And all three of these organizations are completely volunteer-run, and they don't have big budgets. They don't have big fundraisers, but I'm like, Can we just continue this friendship? And so when you talk to your kids, paint those pictures. Talk about our friends at Hopefully So and Home Street Music and Science. Talk to them about kids whose schools look really different. Or the homeless people and how we want to encourage them through music. Or talk to them about foster care and getting a driver's license. Think about it. Daddy gets to drive you all over town. This mom doesn't even have a driver's license. Your kids will get that so we want to make this sort of a, a, a kind of an adventure through learning our rhythm of compassion but using you to apprentice your kids into a living faith so that's kind of the plan that we're looking at i'm excited for it but what i would encourage you to do is just consider this um, make a plan just think about one way maybe two ways i can i can do without this until easter is there some way that you just want to carve out? This isn't a tie. This isn't an offering. But the Sunday before Easter, April 5th, we'll just collect all the money. And then on Easter Sunday down at Mercury Hall, we're going to make a big announcement. We're going to celebrate that. And we're going to talk about it again, who we're going to be able to support. But um, make a plan. It's, it's nice to think, oh, yeah, I sh- that's a good idea. But put it in writing like put it in a place that you can see it and then let's make it part of our conversation when you meet for tribe talk about what you guys are doing when we gather together this is a good talking point and then it's a way that we can kind of keep talking to our kids about what what christ has called us into sound like a plan we're going to go into a time of communion and uh, i want to just pray for us as we go our heavenly father i pray that you would ignite our hearts for um, the things that break yours, for the things that inspire yours. I pray that you would give us the ability to see what you see. I pray that this experiment called the new normal uh, would exceed even what we did last year. But you would give us a vision for and give us the spiritual eyes. As we give up something, will you just help our hearts to tuned to sing thy praise. Help our eyes to be able to see what you see. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, so that we can see as you see and hear as you hear. And I pray that our kids would begin to adopt this idea, idea of a living and integrated faith into all that we are and all that we do. We give you this time. Amen.